you know independence is good for our kids. You know helicopter parenting is bad. But how do you figure out when and how to get involved in your boy's life? Not so easy. Our guest today was an involved parent and she's trying to change. Stay tuned after these messages. This episode is sponsored by By Heart. Babies need to eat. And whether you breastfeed or bottle feed, use formula, combine all of the above, you need options. We wanted to let you know about Byheart Baby Formula. Byheart has a patented protein blend that gets the closest to breast milk. It includes two of the most abundant proteins in breast milk. And Byheart actually ran a clinical trial comparing their formula to a leading infant formula and proved that babies on Byheart have softer poops, less spit up, and easier digestion. Byheart is also the only U.S.-made infant formula to use organic, grass-fed whole milk. So if you need baby formula for your baby, consider Byheart. New customers can get 10% off your first order by using code ONBOYS at byheart.com. That's B-Y-H-E-A-R-T dot com slash podcast, and it is 10% off your first order, byheart.com slash podcast. This is a limited time offer and additional terms and conditions may apply. This is the On Boys Parenting Podcast. I'm your co-host, Janet Allison of boysalive.com and Jennifer L.W. Fink of buildingboys.net. Are you still struggling with back to school? Remember, Amy McReady, our friend over at Positive Parenting Solutions, has the answer for you. Go to boysalive.com school and find that Sir Thrival program. It's going to help you with the homework battles. It's going to help you turn over some more independence to your boy. And that's what we're talking about on this podcast episode today, too. Stay tuned for On Boys. You know independence is good for kids. You know helicopter parenting is bad for kids. But figuring out when and how to get involved in our boys' lives is not so easy. Today's guest, Karen Chesler, recently published a brave essay in the Washington Post entitled, I'm too involved as a parent for my son's sake, I'm trying to change. Karen, welcome. Thanks for having me. All right. You have a son and he is how old now? Uh, he 11, 11 and a half. So as our listeners, many of them know, 11 can be a challenging age anyway for parenting. Um, 11, edge of puberty, tweendom, the whole, all of that, right? Yes. So you're you know, you're trying to figure this out, just like the rest of us. You're trying to be the best possible parent you can be. You're trying to raise a decent human. And you almost stormed out on the ice during hockey practice. I saw my son get punched in the face by another child. And so I, uh, no, not stormed out. I actually went from one end of the ice to the other <laughs> and started to enter the area where the, the team goes, like the, the bench area, the oh, team, yeah. the, the water bottles. And 
yeah, I mean, I just, it, it happens sometimes. I think I intervene most with my son when I see him in harm's way, whether it's socially or physically. Sure. And so this was a case where I just, I saw another child punch him and he landed flat on his back and he was crying, which makes it worse. Which is, so, it triggers the whole like mom instincts. Yeah. That is my baby. I don't care yeah. if he's 11. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't care about any kind of rules that I didn't really look up anyway, but <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, in those moments, what's interesting is that I just feel like I'm transported. I don't even, I don't even feel my feet on the ground. Yes. I'm just, I'm, I was down the one side of the rink and then I was on the other climbing into the player's bench area. And it wasn't until I looked at the coach and he had already gathered everyone in front of him and they were all on one knee, you know, like in listening position. And uh, he looked at me like, yeah, you know what? I got this. Just go away. <laughs> go away. So go away, mama. <laughs> go away, mama. Yeah. And I backed off and went back with my tail between my legs back to the other parents. I can totally see how that happens. Like you said, something happens and it is this instantaneous response. I mean, it probably wasn't until you saw him looking at you that you realized like, oh, here I am. Huh. Okay. Yeah. You and your son talked about this afterwards, I'm quite sure. Uh, what was your son's take on the whole situation? Well, he knows about my um, inability to refrain from, <laughs> from intervening. And um, he's, he's getting to the age where he really would like me to stop. And so um, afterward, he, he said, you know, it was fine. We talked it over. He said, the kid has some anger management issues. And you're like, you think? <laughs> yeah. And he said, but basically they had sort of, you know, reconciled or, you know, negotiated a, an understanding between them. And he um, said that I, he felt like I was learning the fact that I didn't climb into the bench and I <laughs> backed up. Yeah, so he congratulated me. Nice. Well, you know, this starts, it starts young and that instinct, that mother lioness, the mother bear, you know, we're, we're there, we're the protectors, the safety of our children. And when they're young, of course, we're going to intervene. But I think there's so much in parenting where there's this shift of they're getting older, they can handle this themselves. But you also talk about how this brings up our own experiences as a child. So those kind of, you know, butt heads run in together and we have to navigate and negotiate that. So was there something in this of your childhood that maybe there was a parallel? I know what you're asking. Um, but not, not necessarily the hockey issue. Uh -huh. And in fact, I'm sort of uh, possibly realizing something as I'm sitting here. I think when it comes to him in physical danger, that, that has nothing to do with my childhood. That is what we're talking about. The mama bear yeah. lifting the car off the kid, you know, mm -hmm. who was caught underneath. But social issues, mm -hmm. I think those are where my own personal feelings and, and memories and uh, scars, traumas from my own childhood. I think that's where that rears its ugly head. So yeah. some of my yeah. intervention, I mean, because I, I mean, I can tell there's something a little wrong when something happens to my son. And I mean, I feel like it's happening to me. Mm -hmm. I have, I've likened it to a voodoo doll. You know, mm -hmm. it's like he gets like a social jab and I'm like, oh my God, that hurts yeah. me. Yeah. And it hurts too much for it to be not bringing up something in me. It and you're not alone in that, 
we all experience that as parents. And I think that middle school age is particularly fraught, at least it was for me as my girls were going through middle school and uh, early high school and that the social drama, I, I love your your um, voodoo doll imagery because it is that it's hurting us maybe even more than it's hurting them and we may tend to stick with it a little bit longer they they're getting over it and we're still back there mad at that other child and they've already they're already best friends again yeah 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 i yeah i definitely have taken many lessons from my son Mm. and how to navigate life how forgiveness i mean we really do hold on a lot longer Absolutely. In your essay, and everybody go read this essay. The link's going to be in the show notes. I love it because you are, you put it out there. I mean, it's not an easy thing for one, for a parent to say publicly, hey, you know what? This is this thing that I do and I'm trying to do better. Like that's hard for people to admit. Um, And then also, you know, you had that realization that you included in there. You said, when my son gets slighted, I've realized my own childhood wounds flare up like hives. I have become protective, not just because I'm experiencing my son's pain, I'm re-experiencing my own. We say on the podcast all the time, you got to deal with your own stuff as a parent. So often we don't know that until, like you said, you suddenly realize this might be bothering me more than it probably should. This is feeling personal. Mm -hmm. When did you start realizing that with your son? I think for all, uh, in all these different uh, aspects of a situation, like the one we were just talking about where, you know, he's long forgotten or forgiven and I'm still feeling it. Or when I just feel it so loud and large, it just, it really doesn't feel like it's happening to someone else. <laughs> it feels mm-hmm. like it's happening to me. And it's, yes, there's the parenting thing, that natural, you know, I take on my child's pain. I, yes, that's in there, but it feels like more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, And I actually, there's a phrase that kept coming up for me as I was writing that essay. I was thinking of this sort of, you know, that Munchausen by proxy, you know, but I, and if I, if I understand it correctly, just this idea of, you know, um, seeing illness in, in someone else, like, you know, maybe a childhood. I remember mostly from law and order, there was an episode about it. And, but sometimes I feel like I'm seeing issues that my son is having that he's not having. I'm having them. So it does, it it can actually go beyond the situation at hand. Like um, when I would drop him off at camp, I would see maybe when he would walk in, he would have some hesitancy. And maybe when I picked him up, he wasn't smiling enough. And I would think, oh my God, what's happening? Is he making friends? Is he having a a, a hard time with his friends? And I would ask his counselor like repeatedly throughout the summer. And the counselor was like, everything's fine. It's fine. Mm -hmm. He's fine. The situation is fine. And I, it's like, I was almost fabricating something like projecting. So that's when it gets, that's, I think that's when it could get, um, dangerous is, is too big a word, but it not, not, not helpful. But that is such a common concern, Janet. This is one that I see from parents a lot in my building boys group. And I bet you hear from parents too, you know, as adults, we understand how important friendships are, you know, how important social relationships are. And a lot of us, yeah, we have our own baggage from middle school and high school, and we know what it feels like to be 
left out. And that was before social media could, you know, really make you be a, a pariah in your community publicly. Um, so we don't want that for our kids. And so there's so many parents that like, you want to know, because I want to fix this for my kid. I do not want my child to experience that kind of pain. Is that what you see, Janet? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking about the difference between males and females, boys and girls, how we do friendships. And, you know, girls tend to be more relational. Boys tend to be more active and physical and, you know, let's do something together in their friendships. And so there's this added piece of we experienced all these things as females in our growing up years and and watching our boys navigate it differently is is another whole layer to that of understanding how boys how boys do friendships and Jen I'm curious for you like what have you seen in your son's friendships that are is different than how you did friendships it seems easier now, maybe that's because I'm on the outside looking in, right? Mm -hmm. But it seems easier. Like if they just have a similar interest, they hang out together and they do that interest. And it's not all the same drama and backstabbing that I remember. Like that was my experience with kind of middle school and high school. What about you, Karen? Like your experiences versus maybe what you see with your son and his friends? Yeah, I mean, my son is sporty and he has some friends a lot, you know, most of his friends are sporty. And so they do seem to communicate through sport. Um, I, I do want to say this, though, because, yes, uh, you know, there are definitely uh, sensitivities and all kinds of stuff that go on with girls um, that are different than with boys. That said, mm -hmm. I uh, was emptying out my son's knapsack. <laughs> He's not behind me. I was emptying out his knapsack and um, of all the stuff from the past year. And I noticed this little thing they filled out, I guess, toward the end of the year. And it was like, what could you, what, what do you remember that you loved? What would you remove from the year that happened? Yeah. And he had in there a fight that he had had with another boy, um, a, like a fist fight. Um, you know, is it, the, it during a football game? They, they, the one, I, I don't know who was taunting who, but my get, I could guess it was the other kid because my son's not really built. Well, he is a little bit that way, but anyway, um, yeah. So they had a fight and he, I don't know, just verbally, he had sort of led me to believe that it was over. It was done and he had moved past it. And this little thing that I saw showed me that that's not entirely true. Mm. So I think they do hold on to things a little more. I think they are a, a little bit more like girls than we think they are. That's an excellent point. You know, you can't assume that because they're not talking about something that it is not bothering them. Yes. Mm -hmm. And yet that said, we can also drive them crazy by going, are you okay? Are you sure you're okay? Yeah. Are you, are you really okay? How do you feel about this? And this is where finding that line between you know, supporting them and being available to help them and just letting it happen is a really hard line to find. Yeah, absolutely. That's the Munchausen thing I was talking about, you know, like it would bother me. So I just assume it was, it's going to bother him. And there are definitely times where I've brought things up where I feel like I'm almost, 
I'm, I'm create, I'm making it bigger by mm -hmm. talking about it. It's like picking at a scab that he's not even uh, remembering anymore. Yeah. And I want, I want to give him an opportunity to talk about it because he may not bring it up by himself. And I, and I know how it is good for any gender. It is good to talk things through if they're bothering you. It's just a matter of whether it's bothering him or not, or is it bothering me? You know, so it's hard. It's really hard to know. And you don't really know. I mean, maybe that's the, the truth that we need to share here is that you generally don't know in advance. It's not like there's some chart or algorithm that can say, act on this, leave this one be. You can't know that. Sometimes it is just a matter of like bringing it up and then watching what happens next. Right. Yeah. What do you advise clients on that kind of stuff, Janet? Well, you, I, you, I mean, you said it, it's like, you just have to gauge and, and then bring in all of your strategies for communicating with boys, which we've talked about here many times of, you know, it's going to be a short little two minute conversation, do it while you're in the car or walking and you may speak and you may not get an answer, but then maybe at bedtime, late at night when you're tired and ready to go to bed, then he's ready to talk. So being, it's like being environmentally available and creating those times that you can um, hopefully find an opening. But then I think it circles back to, to the place that you said, Karen, of just like, it may not be bothering them as much as it's bothering us. And are we doing them a disservice by bringing it up again and again? Yeah. Right. And I, I mean, and I always think that it's just, just put it out front and say, you know, this may be bothering me more than it's bothering you. So I just mm. want to check in about it. Yeah. You know, it sounds like your son would say, yeah, mom, <laughs> it, it probably is bothering you more than it's bothering you. Oh, yeah. You. Yeah. yeah, he would definitely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of the hardest things for all parents right now, I think is, you know, social media and cell phones. And we know that our kids are going to be part of this world right now. It's 2022. You are not going to raise your child without exposure to these things. We know that it's a bad idea now to just hand a kid a computer or a cell phone and say, okay, good luck. You know, wash your hands and go away. That some supervision and guidance is needed and is necessary. And then how much, how much do I look? How much do I not look? In your essay, you shared a story of a group chat and tell that story here because I think it is relatable to a lot of parents who are trying to navigate, like, do I act, do I not act? Do I let him be an idiot or what? I like cute clothes. I like having stylish outfits and I hate shopping. Armoire makes getting dressed easier. Armoire is a clothing rental membership option. And Janet and I recently have both tried it out. And you guys, it is so much fun. You go to their website, you get to take a little quick style quiz, takes five minutes, and then you get presented a list of beautiful clothing, pictures, wonderful clothes that you can pick out and get delivered to your house for you to try and wear in the comfort of your own home without going out and determine what looks cute, put together outfits without investing a ton of money. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off your first month. 
That is up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash envoys. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E, dot style slash envoys to get 50% off your first month and never have to worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. One of the most challenging things about being a woman at midlife is realizing how little people understand about perimenopause and menopause, Janet. I just had a conversation with my sister about that this weekend. She is 10 years younger than me, so I'm 51, she's 41, and she went to ask her healthcare provider, hey, can you provide me some information? And she got information, but she was frustrated by how incomplete it seems, how little we know, and how for way too many people, the answer seems to be, yep, that's the way it is. Deal with it. Mm-hmm. Deal with it. And not only are our mamas out there having to deal with perimenopause, likely at this age, but many of our moms are dealing with their sons entering or in puberty, which is kind of nature's irony, which is, oof. Cruel joke, Janet. Cruel joke. Cruel joke. Thankfully, thankfully, increasingly, there are those who are recognizing that women need and deserve competent care and treatment for perimenopause and menopausal symptoms. And we know that can still be harder to access than it should be, which is why we have partnered with Winona. Winona helps women who are dealing with menopause or perimenopause. Winona is a collection of OBGYN health professionals who believe that your symptoms are important, real, and deserve to be taken seriously. Telehealth, you can access care from your home when it is convenient for you. Visit buywinona.com today to start your free visit. With free U.S. shipping and the ability to pause or cancel at any time, your path to wellness has zero obligations. Use the code ONBOYS at buywinona.com for 25% off your first order. That's B-Y-W-I-N-O-N-A dot com slash ONBOYS. Winona, menopause care made easy. Okay, so uh, first of all, the idea of him having a phone at all, I, I never thought I was going to be that parent, certainly not to a fifth grader. Um, I thought, I, I, I used to joke, he's not going to have a cell phone until he's, um, you know, 40. And so here he is, <laughs> 11, and he's got one. I tried to gut it as best I could. But so what happened was, um, you know, because of the cell service I had, and I was getting rid of it, and I didn't have it, I hadn't gotten rid of it in time, our phones are linked. Um, and so I get all his text messages. So someone in his class started a, a the fifth grade chat, they called it, and I could see everything. I would say I, I tried not to look, but that's that's just not true at all. <laughs> I, was, well, I mean, it's right there. Right? Oh my God. I, would, I, I can say this truthfully. I tried not to look until he had read it because then he couldn't see the little dot that showed there was a new message. And then I was just, that would just be me. Busted. And undermined. No, no, just I felt like he had has a right to at least know if he's a new message that, that, yeah. that little thing I should be able to give him 
but yeah I, I mean it also was a little boring so I didn't read them that much um <laughs> so uh there's a you know a, a girl in his class and a, as in a lot of classes there's a there's a kid who gets left out and um the mother seemed to be uh from what I've heard she's overly involved and so there there was something that happened on the chat where she the girl thought she was being um removed and I guess the mother thought the girl was being removed too but it, it, it turns out it was just because she was on there with her email and her phone her phone number so they were removing one of the two but uh, so um, there was a misunderstanding but it was a misunderstanding in that way that it could have happened to me because I can imagine that flaring up some childhood trauma of I'm being left out everyone's yes. doing something without me well so the mother the theory was or the scuttlebutt was that the the mother started responding sending texts like well why why do you why are you doing this and you know there are people in there are fart jokes too that are inappropriate that are sometimes said in class and so the you know the other kids in the class started responding but my my son sent some texts that weren't so you know they were they were they were fanning the flames of the fire and so I uh, I said just stop she obviously feels left out you know just you know apologize don't don't do that you know me watching this conversation that I'm not even supposed to be privy to and um, so he apologized and then I find out the next day that in fact it probably wasn't the girl she doesn't speak that way and most of the other parents in the class were saying it was actually the girl's mother. So it was just a, this irony that I'm involved, overly involved, telling my son to apologize. And he's not apologizing to the girl, but rather to her mother. So it's like, just get the parents out of this. Here's the thing. I would have thought that there are rules about, you know, that the experts would weigh in and say, well, that's what happens. Parents aren't supposed to be reading their children's text messages. You know, except maybe in matters of safety, like if he was, you know, on, on, on in, in some wider community online that I should be worried about, you know, pedophiles and stuff like that. But 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 just a chat between his classmates, his I class. should stay out of it. But no, I, I mean, I spoke to, you know, an expert who said that's that there is no there's no rules. There's no science right now that says, yes, you should be doing this and no, you shouldn't be, which was interesting to me. But the situation was enough to make me cringe. The idea that the mother was writing the girl's texts made me look at myself. I saw mm -hmm. myself and I mm -hmm. thought, oh my God, I don't want to be that person. <laughs> it was just another signal. But that's part of why this is so hard. You know, this technology has all happened so quickly that we are dealing with it in real time before there is really smart guidance about it, right? right. So we are bumbling along just as our kids are bumbling along. And is this the right thing to do? Nobody can tell us. Hmm. You know, I'm so struck too, like the girl or the mom, somebody was right. complaining about the fart jokes. And right. so your, your, your kid was kind of like, what fart jokes, right. which of course is fanning the flames. Right. And also totally appropriate right. developmentally 11 year old behavior. And yet when you're trying so hard, like I want to raise a decent human who knows how to respect other people who backs off, like, do we, this question of how much do I allow him to be a jerk when interacting with other people is not easy to answer. Right. Well, and what comes up for me is, you know, before our kids had the ability to communicate via text for one thing, 
how many conversations happened on the playground at the mall, whatever, that we we had no idea what they were talking about and they had to figure it out. And now we have this ability to, you know, be that little eye in the sky and we're going to we're going to look at what our kids are talking about. And there is the place, like you said, Karen, of safety. We want to make sure that, you know, they're being safe and and yet like with the, you know, this little um, circle of a fifth grade chat, maybe that is the place to just let them go let them go and when they get in trouble you know when something arises as it would on the playground wherever then the parents can navigate help them negotiate whatever needs to happen but a little bit to just kind of don't even look this expert did say you know the upside of, of viewing their chats is that you know you can see if things are coming up that you would like to help them process Mm-hmm. Say the conversation gets into an area where maybe you want to have that conversation with your child. So it's an opportunity. But the downside is if they feel like they have no privacy, no safe place on their own, um, you know, like locking a bathroom door. If they don't have that, then they may try and seek that out in ways and places that you, you ne- wouldn't necessarily like them to do. So Because this, the need for privacy and, you know, kids have forever wanted to find their own spaces to converse and do whatever they do out of the oversight of adults. You know, we did it when we were young. Our parents probably did it. It's just such an instinct that, yes, they will find a way to do things you don't know about regardless. And then, you know, we go back to it bringing up our own stuff because sure, when we were growing up, there was nobody to look at this stuff. There was nobody to intervene. There was nobody, whatever. And guess what? A lot of people did get really hurt to the point where we're dealing with our own middle school wounds as middle-aged adults. there's part of us that thinks, can we spare our children this kind of pain? And it's really hard. I'm remembering, maybe you had this, Jen, maybe you had this, Karen. Remember those little diaries with the little like cushy cover and they had the little Little strap with the little lock and the tiny little key, which, you know, you think it's going to be safe, but I'm sure they were very easy to break into. So yes, privacy has been a thing for a really long time. And our kids need that. So how did you, did you change your approach to your son's group text after this? Or like, where have you landed with this right now? Um, you know, I peek now and again. I don't really say anything, but there hasn't really been anything to <laughs> anything good to comment on. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, I yeah, I just it it definitely was a, a it was a wake up call. But I think wake up calls it's like almost a misnomer. Wake up call doesn't mean boom you dramatically change your behavior, nope. but it does. You know, it's like one little thing changed, and so that hopefully that'll have a ripple effect in my behavior. Right, this level of awareness where you go, hmm, I may be too involved here. So this is something yeah. I have to watch as yeah, I move forward. It's an I evolution. Totally get that. Yeah. Yep. I want to talk about your idea in your parenting that your son was not going to play video games and how that's evolved over time and your research and, and conversations with experts about about video games, which you have an article, which we will link in the show notes. So I have to say it's uh, the jury's out on that in my personal uh, in my personal approach with my son with video games, because he is the kid who 
We, he doesn't have any at home. And so okay. he spends a lot of time at friends' houses playing. Well, they, they do a lot of things. They don't play, they, but they, if he plays video games, it's at their houses. And so mm-hmm. they rarely at our house. Mm-hmm. Um, so he may be that kid who wasn't allowed to have sugar at home. And so when he goes to friends' houses, he's like, you know, just yeah. <laughs> I ODing on it. Um, I, but I don't think so. I mean, I, I actually, one thing I'm really happy to see is, so whenever we would go out to dinner, there's just, it's just the three of us, my, my, me, my husband, and my son. Whenever we go out to dinner, he didn't have the phone and, or the uh, switch or whatever it is they have and sit there. Blah, 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 blah. We would bring crayons and pencil, colored pencils and all kinds of stuff. To this day, including this morning, he loves to draw. And he's a, he's a good drawer, you know, he love drew it. Ron James this morning. And um, he, he was, he was going to wake up early so that he would have some time to draw because he's got, he's so overscheduled. So that's a, that's a benefit. In research, I didn't put in that story. It's a thing. Video game addiction is a thing and it's a bigger thing than people think. And the, the American psychiatric, the one that puts out the DSMR. Yeah. For several, the APA. So for several years, uh, maybe like five or six years, they've been saying that this there's something called uh, gaming addiction. They had it under advisement in terms of whether they were going to put it in this DSMR. They they just put it in this year. It is a mm-hmm. thing. It has specific symptoms and conditions before you can say that the child has this. And it is a small segment of the video gaming community. But um, I, I interviewed the um, head of the APA who said, we talked about, it, he said it was, it's the figure was something like, it was like 2% or 8%. I, I don't have my notes in front of me, but it was small. And I said, well, that's pretty small. <laughs> I'm sort of disappointed. I wanted to write a story about it. And he said, well, it's about the same size as the schizophrenia population, but people care about that. You know, they, they interesting. Yeah. So it was, um, it was interesting. Yeah. So it's a, mm. it's a danger. There mm-hmm. are there are kids who, when you take it away, you could see how it dig like a like a smoker. When you took my cigarettes away, I would just get pissed. Mm-hmm. They get pissed. Mm-hmm. That's saying something. So it, again, as parents, we're trying to navigate this reality where it would be easy to raise a kid without video games if video games didn't exist. But now they right. do exist, right? And they are. I mean, they exist so much more than they did when like we were young. You know, they're everywhere. And especially with the pandemic, you know, when people were apart, then video games became a way that people could interact. I'm putting air quotes, you know, virtually they could play together, even if they weren't physically together. So there's that whole risk of a kid being excluded by virtue of not having the shared interest with everybody else. So you have to navigate all of that while attempting to watch your kid and see, is this going to be the kid who goes overboard? No pressure. As your son was getting older, you know, it's when he's three, you still have pretty complete control. We're, we're taking the crayons. We're going to the restaurant. It's fine. At what age did he sort of start being like, hey, I want to play this with my friends? There was a turning point during the pandemic. One of his friends who's always played had a birthday party on, I can't remember what, it, Roblox. Okay. And he and I were trying, I was totally going to let him, I mean, it wasn't like I said, you can't play at friends' houses. I was trying to make it, make sure it was a small amount of the time he was at a friend's house. Not he goes there and for three hours, they're sitting indoors in a sweaty room. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But he, yes, there was this birthday party and he and I could not 
get onto this thing. We couldn't figure it out. We didn't have the app. We had to download the app and we couldn't find the room and the play. We just were out of our league. Mm-hmm. And I felt really bad. And he was getting really frustrated and annoyed and, and then upset. You know, th- again, this is my evolution. So I'm, you know, I am seeing that he's like uh, getting locked out of social situations and connections mm-hmm. and interactions with classmates. And he has a very small class. There's only 13 kids and there's only seven or eight boys. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, he is odd man out on this front. Yeah. So I felt bad about that. And so I started changing a little bit about that. And I, I don't remember what specifically happened that if that he, I think he was just starting to go to friends' houses where he was starting to feel more comfortable playing the video games at their houses. I remember one day he came home and he said that he uh, was enjoying it and he started to cry. And he said he felt so different from everyone. And now he felt a little more in the fold. Mm. And I was like, oh, so again, the evolution, you know, so again, we don't have any video games in our house. And um, yeah, we still go to the restaurants with the crayons. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so it's I feel like it's it's been modulated enough, but Mm -hmm. we'll see how what happens as he gets older. Are you comfortable with it? with with it now with him playing now are you more comfortable with it than you were previously you know has this experience of watching him even if you're not there but you know him playing with friends and then you know you talk to experts for the article who said you know there's there's some benefits there's social benefits there can be eye hand coordination benefits which you know as Karen knows and Janet knows I've got two kids with broken collarbones right now. I like to have an orthopedic surgeon working on them who has great eye hand coordination. (laughs) (laughs) You know, are you more comfortable with it now than you were, or is it still I'm sort of comfortable, but yeah, I'm still concerned. Um, I would say I'm, um, yeah, I'm still concerned, but I am more comfortable. You know, I don't think it's the devil as I did. And I also see, it's funny, and I mentioned in that story um, that I was out uh, with a friend whose parents said she couldn't have sugar when she was getting older. She also wasn't allowed to watch TV. So she remembers missing, she, she scolded me. She said, don't turn his childhood into what mine was like. I didn't know what they were talking about at school, uh, mm. about TV shows. She was completely out of those conversations. And, um, and the sugar, she, you know, she didn't like that either but uh yeah so I did not I did not want to be that parent I don't I don't want him to but I am concerned about you know you know keeping him back from all of that and how that I don't want him to become addicted later like I may have fostered that I mean we we do have that with soda we try and get him to drink mostly water but that doesn't work (laughs) but he doesn't yeah so I don't I don't want him to become addicted later that's a concern well again the whole having him drink mostly water, right? Works great when he's little and he's mostly under your control. And then he joins a sport team and suddenly there's Gatorade everywhere, Gatorade. whether you yeah. give it to him or not. It just yeah. gets, mm-hmm. things get more complex as their worlds yeah. get bigger. Right, as they get farther away from us. I'll say this though, we went away um, to this uh, lake house and we took his cousin and his cousin has a switch and his phone has some, uh, game apps and the kid was on it constantly and I did feel like phew I did the right thing mm-hmm. I don't like this 
and I would take the thing away from the kid because I did feel like, you know, you're in my home now and, and I don't want my son because every time he was doing it, my son was like peering over his shoulder and sometimes the kid would let my son play. And so I would, yeah, but uh, yeah, I did not like what I saw. I definitely agree with you in that, like the longer you can put that off and give them an opportunity to develop an interest in drawing, to figure out other ways to amuse themselves. I used to be the the mom who always had a deck of cards in my purse when we go to like restaurants or when I had the littler kids with me at the older kids sports tournaments and it's an all day thing. Like I feel like by laying the foundation where they learned there were other things to do that made it easier for them to not have this game be their whole life. Yes, exactly. Yep. Well, and I think, you know, just putting parameters on that of, you know, put the switch away afternoon without the switch, whatever it is, and giving, giving them the nudge to, you know, you're at the lake house, go get in the lake, do something else. And I mean, my kids grew up, I have to say, we really didn't have TV. We would watch movies, but they didn't watch TV, but they playing cards. Like we would spend summer afternoons playing games of cards that we, I mean, we're still card players to this day. And so it's expanding their interest range, I think, beyond the video games. And it's okay to say, put it away. Yeah. Just put it away and they'll grumble and all that, but let's, we're going to do something else now. You just made me realize something though. Um, I thankfully, I don't have to have that conversation. I don't Mm -hmm. have to have the limit conversation, Mm -hmm. which from what I see from the outside, it doesn't work that well. It's mm-hmm. just like, like every single day. It's it, when you have the live, you know, you, there has to be threats. And <laughs> I mean, they just don't want to relinquish this thing, this device. Yeah. yeah. So I, yeah. yeah, I don't have that. So I, I, again, I feel like I, I did something right. I don't have, you know, like I said, he, it's not like he never plays. He plays at friends' houses, right. but there are none in the house. Mm-hmm. I mean, he likes TV. And so that's like a treat he has before he gets, before he goes to bed, he usually watches TV from anywhere from 20 minutes to an hour, you mm-hmm. know, and it's like his indulgence and yeah, you know, I don't have a problem with that. That's a different, it doesn't feel like an addiction. It feels like it's, an indulgence. I love how, you know, you've mentioned a couple of times, basically your evolution as a parent, you know, there's, this is what I thought things were going to be like. And these were the, I thought these were going to be the hard and fast rules And then reality happened and I looked at my kid and I had to shift some things. That is parenting in a nutshell, I think. Yeah. With what you know now, 11 years of experience under your belt, what advice would you give to a newer mom, a mom of younger boys at this point? Well, got some of the things that you just said, you know, you you are going to have some ideas about what you think you want and the the way you want things to be. And you are going to have to modulate it, that you are going to evolve. And I would give them the example of the video games. I mean, I am happy with uh, not having them in the house. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it, I think it makes a difference. Yeah, you're not doing that constant negotiation that I know yeah. many of our listeners can completely relate to. I actually had a boyfriend who uh, was, he loved playing war games. And this was back in the 
eighties, late eighties. He had he did the war gamings. I don't know if you ever seen it with the little oh, soldiers, yeah. and they replay historic battles. And he was a Napoleonophile, and so he had made this little rudimentary game. It was almost like you know, like on the computer, he made a rudimentary program that it was almost like rolling the dice. So you added some ch- element of chance to a historic battle, and he loved formulating this thing. He loved playing it. He loved playing it so much that I felt like no matter what we did or where we were, all he really wanted to be doing was that. And it was part of what made me lose interest in the relationship. It felt like everything was second to that. But even if he went out to dinner with me, I felt like he couldn't wait to get back to do that. And so to not really have that as looming as large, I think is a is a great thing to do with your kid. Video games are a bigger thing in my house this week and last week than they have been for years because the two boys with broken collarbones can't do much else. Right. So what's really funny, I took a picture of this, you guys, they uh, both broke their collarbones dirt biking. So what are they doing? They are spending their time (laughs) playing a dirt biking video Video game. game. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) In these circumstances, we're going to let this one go. Yep. Well, that's that evolution. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. (laughs) Karen, we are going to put the links to your um, Washington post article, the one about the video games. You also did a great one about bonding with your son, attempting to bond with him through model building. Oh, found out (laughs) that there are more effective ways for your son. I'm not going to spoil it. I'm going to let our listeners read that one. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners, you know, who are grappling with these questions of how do I raise these boys to be responsible men without suffocating them in the process? I think sometimes you have to make your own rules. Um, I'm really honest with my son and, you know, I think sometimes, uh, Maybe sometimes we talk about things that other people might say, oh, parents aren't supposed to talk about that. And I'm not talking about sex or anything. And I mean, just honesty about feelings and um, certainly mistakes. I feel like I've made, you know, like, I'm really sorry I said that I I got angry because, you know, I whatever I had a deadline or I I, I, I don't know, but just constant honesty. And I think that is a huge thing in parenting and maybe it's underrated, but, but also what I was saying is that I think sometimes you, maybe people will tell you, this is this, these are the rules. This is inappropriate. You're not supposed to talk about this. And I just feel like, however, I've bumbled my way through, it's always had, you know, sort of some honesty and integrity behind it. And I think that makes all the difference. I love that we are bumbling through. We don't know the right ways to parent these kids. I think if you bumble through with honesty and integrity, you're all going to come out okay on the other end. Karen, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Thanks, Karen. As always, thank you for being our listeners. This is the On Boys Parenting Podcast. We are your co-hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink of buildingboys.net and Janet Allison of boysalive.com. If you enjoyed this episode, would you do us a favor and share it with a friend or post it on your social media? And we always love to hear what your thoughts are after you listen. Don't forget, if you're struggling, 
Amy McReady's got that sir thrival program for you. Go to boysalive.com school and you'll find all the details there. It's ready and waiting to help you help your son have a more successful school year this year. Again, thanks for being our listeners. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.